0: You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Good to be with you this morning. Good to start Lent with you. If I, I would ask to raise a hand, who's starting Lent for the first time? Well, let's not do that. It's already awkward enough. You know, like what is going on in here? You may notice a few things are a little different, right? A, we're like chanting the psalm, and that's awkward, right, for some of us, and that's okay. Trust me, though, like so many of us, so many of you who at first were hesitant about this, uh, you will grow to love this. And in fact, throughout the rest of the year, you're going to be coming to me saying, please, can we chant the psalm? Maybe not. Well, you will. Trust me. Um, everything's purple in here, there's no hallelujahs, no bells, all the fun. We're, where did it all go? We're, we're going to be facing the cross together as we celebrate communion. Usually I'm on the other side of the altar facing you, but in a penitential preparatory kind of posture, similar to Advent, which is also purple, we're going to be celebrating communion uh, facing the cross together. So me with you bringing our sacrifice of praise of the altar together. There's all of these changes. What's this all about? Well, I'm going to explain some of this, uh, but first I want to tell you a story. When I was, I think, 12, maybe 11, I was a Boy Scout, believe it or not. And uh, I was living in Turkey, and the closest uh, Boy Scout camp was in Germany. So we went to Germany for this week-long Boy Scout camp where I won my first and last ever triathlon. This is a lot of new news for you guys. Like, really? No, this is true. This is true. Believe it or not, I was pretty excited to be away from home. As a young man, I was, like, pumped. I'm independent look at me winning triathlons flying to germany by myself got it made i'm fearless well one night uh, we were being inducted into this order for like wilderness survival boy scouts is awesome it's got all this weird stuff going on in it and they hiked us out into the german woods into the countryside into the mountains for like probably a few miles and when we got to the end of the road they said okay now each of you split up uh, hike in different directions we were in a valley so it was up the mountain uh, h- hike in different directions. Don't look at anybody. You can't be near anyone. If you can hear someone, hike further away. And you're going to stay the night alone with a tarp in the German wilderness. And for me, as a World War II junkie, even as a kid, I was thinking, this is creepy. Like, are, who? Like, what am I going to find out here? Maybe, uh, you know, Hitler's old bunker, or, like dead people coming. I don't know. My mind went crazy with what I might find out there. At first, I could talk myself down. It wasn't that scary. No big deal. I mean, after all, I'm a young man. I flew to Germany. I'm a Boy Scout. Like, I can handle this, right? I'm fine. I'm fearless. Then it got more and more scary as the night went on and the darkness crept in. I found myself alone with this little lean-to, thinking like, I can do this. I can do this. It was a really long night for me. It was kind of creepy. I got the merit badge. Um, but man, I was so relieved in the morning to come down the hill and see the rest of my friends and our troop leader and everybody was fine and safe and no Nazis had taken us over, like all that imaginative stuff that I thought maybe like animals or something would come and find me, Robin Hood's going through my head, all kinds of weird things, okay? But I came down the hill, I found our, our, my friends in the valley together where we had started and I had taken a, a huge deep breath, like I have survived, I deserve a merit badge. I thought going into this that I was a lot stronger than I realized I was, really. In my head, I was a lot better at this than in reality. I thought I was a lot more fearless. I just, I just flew from Turkey to Germany by myself and like navigated things and I was fine, I was, I was a man. But then when I got out into the wilderness, it crept in that maybe I wasn't as much of a strong man as I thought maybe I was, how much I needed other people. In other words, I knew something about myself in my head but it was different than when I needed to know it in practice in real life. Does that that ever happen to you guys? Like I'm a drummer, I think I'm amazing in my head, but then when I sit down to play, it's like, ooh, not so good. There's so many aspects of our life, even maybe our our prayer life or our life with Jesus in which we think, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty close to the book here, people, I've got this. And then trials and temptations, we're called to hike out into the wilderness and all of a sudden the darkness creeps in And we are not as good as we thought we were. Well, stepping out into the spiritual wilderness of sorts in Lent is what this is all about. Out beyond the boundary lines of of our comfort zone, where we're familiar with the Christian life, the kinds of temptations that we know we can overcome, we can handle. Beyond that, following Jesus at his invitation, come with me, come with me. You're okay. You're safe with me. You're. I have everything you need, child. Come with me. And when we in Lent respond to this invitation that Jesus gives us in our real, actual lives—not the ones in our head, but our actual lives—we find something really surprising. We find the good life with Him. We find that even in our weakness. He's really strong. We find that even in the valley of the shadow of death, when we look and there's no way, when we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. We find that, but we don't find that in the comfort of our home on the couch watching UT. Nothing against UT. But we find that out in the wilderness when we are pressed from every side and we look around and thinking, do I have anything? I don't even know if I have my own faith. All of my doubts, my enemies surround me. I'm being ambushed. It's in those seasons when we call out to the Lord, when we're being tested, that we see the realness of our faith. Not just knowing it in our heads, but this tacit knowledge and knowledge in our hands, a lived knowledge, a real knowledge. Now, Lent, for some of you, if this is the first time you're entering into this, you may be thinking, yikes, this is super serious. This is one of those things for like elite Christians. I don't need to test my faith. I just need to be like nourished. I need to be taken care of. But I want to I push back a little bit. I want to give you a fresh look at Lent. For those of you who may be, uh, maybe you've seen Lent roll around a bunch of times and you've never actually decided to participate by maybe fasting from something or going without something, kind of shaking up your routine. Maybe you've stood on the outside of all this. Can I invite you in? You have nothing to be afraid of. Even if you make a mistake, even if you fail with your discipline, that's okay. We all do. I mean, if anyone makes you think like, oh, I've done this perfectly... That's another thing they should fast from lying, right? They would just be honest. We, this is like a great experiment, actually, Lent is. A playful almost experiment. It's playful because we know our Heavenly Father, He loves us. And that in Him we have everything we need, and that the kingdom of God makes us safe. And so we can go into the wilderness and be tested, be stretched with excitement, with anticipation, with an openness to making some mistakes experimenting with our own spiritual renewal, and discovering indeed that life with God is good and that he has everything we need. So I want to invite you, if you're looking at this thinking, I don't know if I can do this, you totally can. Jump in. It's like a laboratory with like sticky notes. Literally, we have sticky notes here. Brainstorming. Just thinking about, I don't know, what what are some ways that God's inviting me to grow? How, How can I enter into Lent and be nourished and just really... Test my faith a little bit. Try it out a little bit in real life and be strengthened. Come on in. The water's fine. I invite you to enter into Lent with us. And by the way, later in the service during communion, um, we we open ourselves to the prayer, uh, to the invitation of the Lord. How do you want me to grow in Lent? And if there's something that comes to mind that he's inviting you to, to give up, to abstain from, maybe something to add in your life, um, we, after communion, we come over here and write on stickies, um, those, those things, and we put them on the board. And for us, it's like a really... For me personally, seeing that other people are in this journey with me is really encouraging. So I encourage you after communion to be thinking about that during the sermon. After communion, you can post that invitation that you discern from the Lord. Well, Dallas Willard, we love Dallas Willard, he asks, uh, he says that the good life asks this question What is genuinely in my interest, and how may I enter true well being? What is genuinely in my interest? And how may I enter true well-being? The journey in the wilderness for us in Lent, it, it tests our answers to those questions. We all have answers to those questions. It tests, it press, presses our assumptions, and it forces us to reckon with what I think will actually be in my own interests and the things that I actually think will fulfill my own well-being. Lent is a big interrogation of that. Really, do you think that is in your best interest or that will lead you to well-being? Lent gives us an opportunity to see this. And if, spoiler alert, if you don't wanna hear what Lent's all about, uh, plug your ears, because Lent ultimately shows us that what's in our best interest and where our well-being lies is none other than a dependency on God's grace, his word, his love, his spirit, his son that he's given to us, that's all we need. All of those things, all of those um, those divine gifts to us are in our best interests, And actually in all of them, we find our true well-being like nothing else can offer. So it doesn't have to be scary. Lent can just be this discovery process to see that our dependency is really on God alone. Well, our readings this morning, they take us uh, a little bit through a tour of a few uh, firstborns of God that were tested. Israel was tested. We see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, tested. And even, we didn't read about this, but Adam, one of the firstborn of God, literally, was being tested with three key temptations. If you read these stories. One, it was... It was testing their cravings, their their physical hungers. Two, it was testing their resolve about worship, who to worship, what to worship, how to worship. And three, it was testing their dependency. Do you really need to depend on God for everything? Their cravings, their worship, their dependency. Something about these three temptations, they exploit absolutely everything in our lives. Think about this. They take all the goodness that God is giving to us and it excludes us from them. It perverts that thing. Adam failed the test. Israel failed the test in the wilderness. And for some reason, for whatever reason, these three temptations, they also lure us and drag us into perversions and mistakes and and distortions of this good life that God is giving to us in corruption, in abuse, in evil of all kinds, whether in politics, whether in marriage, the way we spend our money, the way we treat other people, these three temptations, they keep us from actual, the, the actual good life that God has to offer for us. When we cry out about injustice, we're crying out because someone has failed these tests somehow gravely, right? If we could learn to overcome these temptations, these cravings, these mistakes about worship, and these false dependencies that we created in my life, in our lives, that is a Lenten journey for us to be pressed on and tested with. Well, Jesus is fascinating to me about this. Yes, he is the Son of God, but just think about this. Historically, Jesus is utterly brilliant. The stories we read about Jesus, if you've not read many of them, you should just spend some time reading about this man. Utterly fascinating. When faced with three, these three big temptations that every single human being in all of human history has faced, when he's faced with them, he actually knows what he's doing. He's like a craftsman, a master craftsman at temptation. He gets it. He knows how to overcome it. He knows what's really going on. Somehow he can see the truth. He can see reality. And after 40 days, 40 straight days of solitude and fasting, and unlike Adam who was in paradise and had everything he needed and failed these tests, and unlike Israel, who was fed by bread from heaven and failed this test, unlike any of them, Jesus had nothing to eat, and the devil came to meet with him to test him likewise. In verse 3, it says this in our, in our reading, our gospel reading, chapter 4, verse 3, uh, Luke 4, verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. There's the temptation of physical hunger. You see it? But there's also something laced in here, hidden, kind of smuggled in, which is the temptation for Jesus to do, use his divine sonship to serve his own needs. Did you see that? If you are the son of God. Not just feed yourself. If you are the son of God, will Jesus use his divine sonship to satisfy his own needs? Jesus' mission is always for the sake of others, though, to proclaim Liberty to the captives, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 18 in Luke. Feeding the masses, those stories of him multiplying bread for the hungry, ultimately giving others the bread of his own life in his own body. His mission is to feed the hungers of the world, not to use his divine sonship and his power for himself, but always to serve the good of others. The scriptures that Jesus quotes back at the devil is from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and it says this, One does not live by bread alone. In Luke's reading, it's interesting, unlike Matthew who finishes the line in Luke's reading, that's where Jesus' response stops. Man does not live by bread alone. And for any Jewish reader who would hear this, they would say, and? Like, finish the line, bro. This is a good line. He leaves us in anticipation with the rest of the saying, almost to tease it out of us. You know the rest, people. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus is the word that comes from the mouth of God. He is that divine reason taking on flesh and blood and entering into the human story. It's not like he needed to be baptized for his sake, but he was in solidarity being baptized with us, sanctifying all of creation. It's not like he needed to be led into the wilderness to be tested, but out of solidarity and for our sake, again, he entered into the human situation, our temptations, our trials, Entering into them to overcome them and to sanctify them. And because of that, Jesus in his own body gives us that food that will satisfy our deepest cravings always. So because this is who Jesus is and because he's overcome this temptation, when we are tempted in hunger for whatever it is, we can pause and pray, God, I know you see my hunger right now. You know, you hear my my, my grumbling stomach, Lord. But I know that this grumbling, this hunger is for you. I want to be honest about that. I crave some chocolate right now, Lord. But that just reminds me of of my hunger, my craving, that it can only be satisfied in you, Lord. You see that? It's super simple. It might seem silly to even say that. But what a wonderful way in Lent to trigger these prayers for us to point those hungers, not to these things, these cravings that will never satisfy, but to the Lord, where they will be ultimately satisfied. Okay, there's one down, two to go, right? There's two more temptations. Showing him the kingdoms of the world. The devil shows Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He the devil tempts him again saying in verse 6, "To you I will give their glory and all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please." the devil says. "If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." Pause for a second. Can you imagine if we if we took like uh, um, people in America who were tempted with that kind of power and authority? What would be the ratio of people who would take it? Who would sell out to the devil a little bit just to get like comprehensive power and authority over the earth? We sell out to the devil for far less. What an overwhelming temptation. Verse 8, again, listen to how brilliant Jesus is. And he's not flustered. It's no big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but he's got this. Jesus answers the devil It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus knows that power and authority, true power and authority, it doesn't come from palaces, it doesn't come from thrones or white houses or military powers, but a cross. He refuses to be elevated by the devil, but instead pursues being the lowly, coming as a servant, demonstrating love as the truer power, laying down his life for his friends. Friends, that's brilliant. And not only that, it's beautiful. And guess what? It works. It is truly a greater power the great Shema, which means the name, rings out of Jesus' response. What I just read to you earlier, hear, O Israel, at the, at the Decalogue. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, Deuteronomy 6.4. This rings out in Jesus' response. He knows what's true. This temptation is to give to the devil his due. Throw him a bone and use the devil's power to accomplish a good end. Forget Forget the, the means, just if the, if the end is good, it's worth it. Seek justice, even if you have to do it in a dirty way, even if you have to concede something of your integrity or compromise the goodness of God in some way, that's fine because the greater good and the end is worth it. Jesus rejects that lie because you can never obey the justice the world offers apart from the justice found in the cross of Christ. Never. Can I say that again for us? You can never obey the justice of the world apart from the justice found in the cross of Christ. In the cross of Jesus, we find the good. We find the just, completely summarized, caught up in Jesus's life and death. So when the devil tempts you to achieve the good by making a concession to the evil, remember Christ who was made low? He didn't take the easy way. He was made low, humbled, and God lifted him up His obedience to the point of death on a cross was the way, the actual way to the good life. Not only for himself, but for all of God's people, all of creation. And his resurrection is the place in which we see, yes, he was right, actually, about all of that. Even if you doubt now, like, I don't know, Sean, dying a torturous political death on a cross before the watching world doesn't seem to be very victorious. Well, his resurrection and ascension verifies that it actually is. Who now has more comprehensive power and authority on all, all the world but Christ? Who sits at the right hand of God the Father now? You have a better way? You don't. No one does. The cross of Christ is the way. And when we make ourselves low, God lifts us up. Finally. Taking Jesus to the dizzying heights of the temple peak. This is the last temptation. The devil tempts the Lord. Now he like ratchets it up. He like ups his game quite a bit. And he quotes some scripture at Jesus. It says this, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. Verse 11, and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash a foot against a stone. The devil's quoting a psalm at Jesus. But the devil picked the wrong psalm, friends. And Jesus would know. This is why it's so good for us to sing, because it like helps us memorize. But Jesus knew that this was the wrong psalm. Because if you read the next verse, it tells of the serpent being crushed under the Lord's foot. That very same uh, verse. But the devil stopped short of that, right? But without arguing, without even really engaging his like, uh, terrible exegesis, you know, Jesus puts the devil in his place and saying, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You are not God, you are not the Lord, I am. Don't test me. We too can resist the devil the way that Jesus has, not in some sort of like scary threatened way, but we can just simply resist the temptation of the devil as one who is in Christ, who has overcome the devil. We can say, I belong to Christ. You can remember your baptism. Say, I belong to Jesus. Devil, you need to get out. You need to leave. And just as Jesus resisted the devil and he fleed, this verifies what we write, we read later in James's letter, that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. We know this is true. We've seen it demonstrated by Christ. And he will come again the devil flees knowing that he can come at another time when he will enter judas at the lord's darkest hour what an interesting tour in the wilderness with jesus as he's being tempted what i want us to hear from this friends is that what jesus accomplish he accomplishes in the wilderness he accomplishes us uh, he accomplishes excuse me to lead us to share that victory with us not to just wow us or impress us but to actually make a way, as John the Baptist said, prepare a way, the Lord's making a way for you to be with him, to overcome these temptations by the grace of God. So Jesus's victory over temptation is a victory that is your victory over temptation. Something he shares with us. It isn't ours to paralyze us from obedience. It isn't us to, ours to say, oh, look at the grace of God, let's sit back and just like enjoy the sin all the more. no. That would be totally wrong to misunderstand this. It's not to paralyze us in this way, but it's to call us into a deeper obedience to be trained in this way. Look, Jesus is leading us. Come with him. Be trained like him. Be strengthened. Don't just have a faith in your head that you think, I'm pretty good, but actually put it to the test. Go without something you think anything but that. Go without it and see what happens. And realize that you can even come those vices. You can overcome all evil and all temptation. In the wilderness with Christ. Why? Because He has overcome it already. And He assists you to overcome it as well. The, dis- the uh, disciplines, the big three in Lent, they follow these temptations actually fasting, prayer, giving. These are the big traditional disciplines in Lent. That when we think of, Lord, how are you inviting me to grow? It's really easy to think uh, about fasting. What can I abstain from? Prayer. How can I add? prayer into my life? Where, where can I carve out some time to pray and worship God? How can I make uh, God's, uh, worshiping God a priority in my life? And giving, what are those ways that I can free up my resources, which are really the Lord's resources that I'm stewarding? How can I free those up for the sake of others? These are big three exercises that we see uh, prefigured in these temptations in the wilderness. And when we avail ourselves to those disciplines, We avail ourselves to being strengthened by God in all of those ways. And if you think I don't have enough to overcome all this, I don't know if I have enough to be strengthened. You don't, but with the Lord you do because who who else can you call upon who will save you? Who else has gone ahead of you and accomplished this thing that now invites you to join him? You're right, you don't have what it takes, but you know the one who does? Jesus, he invites you. Be with me, I'll show you the way. Let me show you how to do this. Let me strengthen you. Let my grace fill you and nourish you. So if you haven't decided how you're going to participate with Lent, I want to invite you, ask God now. It's not too late. You can jump in halfway through Lent. That's totally cool with me. Listen for God's invitation. Lord, how is it that you want me to be strengthened in my life with you? What is keeping me from a deeper union with you, God? Where in my life do I need to learn to trust you more? Listen. All of these three temptations, hunger, worship, dependency, they're all also given to us, uh, that what we need to overcome them, the things that we actually desire in those temptations, it's given to us even now in Holy Eucharist. As we enter the wilderness, may we first come to the table, be fed by that nourishment that only God can give that will sustain us not only in Lent, but in the rest of our lives as we face these temptations, knowing that Jesus has already overcome them and leads us to that same good life. Amen? Let's take a moment of silence and invite the voice of God to us this Lent. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.